Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Dr. Alok Patel is back on the podcast, a physician, journalist, and producer who firmly believes humor and relatability should drive science communication. It's a crazy world out there, and we wanted to talk about not only what COVID is doing to us, but also our kids. And who better to talk about that with than a San Francisco-based pediatrician, Dr. Alok Patel. Listen how this doctor, father, and partner kicks it up a notch to choose himself. Dr. Alok Patel, thank you so much for coming back to the show. I absolutely loved our last conversation and I couldn't wait to talk to you again. I am very honored and excited to be here. I'm not excited with the fact that we still have to talk about this pandemic, but hey, if I'm going to find the silver lining in life from anyone, it's going to be from you. Oh, yes. That's really a good tone to start with because we did start the conversation about COVID last year together in, I think we spoke around September, and that was the first time we really addressed it directly here on the show. And it was really important. Obviously, it's obviously all-consuming around the world. And so we wanted to continue that conversation and kind of get your perspective on how things have changed since then and focus a bit more on or hone in a little bit more about how we can best take care of our children. And ironically, my daughter right now has been diagnosed. So it's kind of like crazy that it's everywhere. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. And I hope that daughter is doing well. Yes, it's mild. Thank God. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so we're all tired of dealing with this, right? It's, there's this thing. Would you would you call it COVID fatigue yet? I absolutely would. And if if it's not called that, then someone tell me what the term is because you know COVID fatigue has been written about and talked about since summertime 2020, and that was only after a few months when we all had this collective motivation and we had the adrenaline to you know take on this monumental task of staying at home and distancing, wearing a mask and everything. And now, you know, almost two years later, people are feeling fatigue in every sect. I mean, people who have resources and means are feeling a different type of fatigue than those who are consistently working and living paycheck to paycheck. And don't even get me started on the kind of fatigue that frontline workers, people working in hospitals are having. And then you have kids who are so incredibly tired of being thrown in the middle of everything right now and missing out on such really fun integral years of their lives. So COVID fatigue is real, and we just have to be very respectful and realize that everyone out there is dealing with their own struggle in some way, and we just we got to find a unifying ground based on that. Yes. How do we do that? <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I'll i tell you, a, a, just kind of add in a personal anecdote here. I think a lot of it comes down to empathy and in finally trying to have open conversations and dialogue with people even if we are on completely different sides of the fence when it comes to politics and science, I think we need to rein it back in and realize that we have been divided, not by our own means. We're humans. We want to be able to bond with one another, but we've been divided by leaders and politicians. And the personal story I'll tell you is in the past six months, I feel like there's been a revitalization of empathy and people being like, you know what? The pandemic's going to come and go. But like human nature is going to be around. We got to we got to bring it back. And I was at odd ends with several people I had grown up with in the great state of Arizona, people who don't agree with what's happening in terms of the pandemic. And they don't agree. And they're not democratic like I am. And they some people who are staunch anti-vaccine, we stopped speaking. And then recently people are reaching back out and being like, you know what, when this is all over, I hope you know that I still care about you. And I hope you know that like this is all coming from a good place. 
And I've gotten a few of those messages recently. And I think people are realizing that there's something greater out there and that we just don't need to be at odd ends all the time. I hope you're right. I, I don't know if I've noticed a difference quite yet, but I, I hope you're right. That's It's good to hear that that's happening because it is so divisive. And yet we are all in the world, every single one of us dealing with the same issue. And it's it's it should be, it would be much more powerful if we could stand together. And even if we can't stand together, and even if we, because I think, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be a common ground where everyone agrees. I think we can at least do it with a little bit more respect and trying to realize that we all are coming from individual backgrounds and health literacy levels. And just, we just, we have to get to a place where we can hear each other out without constantly throwing stones. Yes, absolutely. And you're still working on the front lines in a hospital in San Francisco. What are you seeing there? Oh, I definitely am. I'm actually working in between three hospitals in San Francisco. You know what we're seeing? It's kind of like a trifecta. We're seeing a lot more patients, you know, right now with the, with the Omicron surge testing positive. And I'm going to say test positive for the virus, which is SARS-CoV-2. The disease itself is COVID. You know, and I, the reason I want to say that is because we're seeing a lot of people test positive as a screening test. So let's say somebody is getting abdominal surgery or they have a headache or something. They have to be admitted for that reason. They're testing positive. So there's a lot more disease out there, a lot more virus out there than before. But we're also, unfortunately, even though it is a more mild variant by all research that we've seen so far, we're still seeing a lot of people hospitalized primarily for COVID. So you got them both. And then on top of that, the straw that is wrecking the healthcare camel's back is the amount of exposures that are happening to healthcare professionals and firefighters, police officers, EMTs, respiratory technicians, pharmacists, the security personnel at the hospital, the people who are cleaning the hospital rooms, everyone who is needed to actually deliver efficient healthcare. And when that happens, our hospitals are overrun, they're understaffed, ER waits are hours long, elective procedures are getting canceled, you can't get into doctor's appointments, like it is all happening. And what's really scary about this whole thing is that the healthcare shortage was a huge issue before the pandemic. And it's going to be far after the pandemic. So I don't think anyone out there, or I don't want anyone out there to say like, oh, once COVID is over, we'll have our hospitals back because you may not. Wow. Wow. It's almost like a call to action for people to go into healthcare. Or to people to go into healthcare reform or lobby for (laughs) better resources and make sure you vote for politicians who actually pay attention to healthcare. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, I hope that all unfolds in that right direction. I think we've got so much work on so many levels. I mean, even regular stores, right? People are not being able to keep things staffed and and shelves being, you know, full of items. It's it's like it feels so weird and I can't believe it's 2 years later and it's still at this this really unknown point perspective. Uh, what are what are some of the biggest hurdles that parents are continuing to face when it comes to their kids and COVID? I think the biggest unifying thing, you know, I want to just come out there and say there's some fear with regards to their children's health, but a lot of it from what I'm hearing from parents, from teachers, from caretakers is the unpredictability and people missing routine. You know, routine is really important, not only for our general lives, so we know what to expect and how to plan accordingly, but it's routine is important for kids and their security and their development and knowing what to expect and and planning. And so a lot of parents out there are so frustrated. They're saying, I don't know if my kid's going to be able to take this trip or go to that camp or see grandma, or if school's going to be open next week. And it's, it's really tough. And, you know, there's some case examples like 
daycare is getting shut down and all of a sudden parents don't know what to do with their kids or elementary school is getting closed or high school athletes who are getting their entire seasons wrecked. And when they need activities like sports for their mental health and their, and their wellness. So that is really, that's a huge hurdle right now for a lot of parents out there. And then I didn't even address the fact that we have so many kids who are symptomatic and getting sick right now. And I think an alar- a very alarming stat is how many weeks in a row it's been where we've had more than 100,000 kids test positive for the virus. And even a very small percentage of that is still going to wind up in the hospital or ICU. But when you get numbers even higher, inevitably, you're going to get more sick kids. So a lot of parents out there of kids who are high risk or have underlying medical issues or who are not eligible for the vaccine are kind of living a little bit of limbo right now. How do we navigate that? How do we navigate the routine? Like, how do we make as much routine as we possibly can under these circumstances? I I don't know if you have the answer, but like, what are your thoughts? (laughs) You know, I... I think I honestly, it's it's up to the individual family, but doing what you can in terms of forging that routine and in terms of being very transparent with your children does make a difference. Even if routine means, hey, in the morning, we're going to take a walk. You're going to sit at the table and eat breakfast while mom drinks coffee. Or, you know, at noon, we're going to do X. Thursday is taco night, whatever it is. Some type of consistency and routine is just really important and provides a, a great sense of security to kids. And, you know, and honestly, I think being honest with your kids, if there is no routine and things fall apart, depending on how old your kid is, but just being very real about that process, that is also in, in some weird way, a routine as well. That's actually the perfect segue to the next question is how, like, how is, what's the ideal way for parents to explain to their kids to talk about what's going on and why, like, for instance, that they still need to wear a mask or get another vaccination or continue to stay socially distant from their friends. I think you got people have to be real with their kids and just be honest with them. And like, let's maybe try to turn off the television and put down the social media when we're having these conversations, because I will tell you from experience, from talking to teens, and I think, I think we brought this up on the last episode is I have talked to kids as young as seven, eight years old who have these beliefs about what's happening out there based on what they're seeing on screens, not off of what their parents are telling them. And so I really hope that I implore parents out there to be the first source of information for your kids, not the outside world, because you know there's a lot of crap out there. There's a lot of misinformation, fear-mongering. You do not want your kids falling into that. So I would be honest, be real with your kids, explain the concept of risk reduction. You know, Tell your kids like, hey, there is a virus out there and it wants to infect all of us, but we're going to reduce our chances of getting sick by doing X, Y, and Z. And those are things like, washing your hands, wearing a mask, staying away from somebody if you don't know if they're safe, getting vaccinated if your kid is eligible and all those things. And you know, that's not just about the pandemic. That's building really good uh, analysis for your kids. Let's say your kid's going to go ride a bike. The harm reduction would be following the traffic lights and wearing a helmet. Your kid's going to go skiing. The same rules apply. Your kid's going to go swimming. Is there a lifeguard? Um, You know, is it safe for you to be swimming in this water? Are you wearing a life jacket if that's appropriate? I think all this is is really important to start teaching kids whenever you can. It's so amazing because that's social media is where they get everything, all this information and all the crap and misinformation in every single part of the world, every aspect of life and socializing and everything is all on there. And it's so hard to shield it from that because they're always on there and they're just always getting that immediacy, this information immediately. And like, how do you, you know, how do you stop them from that? I have a really hard time getting my kids to just put the phones down and just like, sit and talk to me. It's like the biggest challenge. But 
how are you? What are, what are you like? What's been going on? You're a new dad, but now you're your baby's how old now? Alora's eight and a half months old. She's got Aww. a lot of a lot of attitude, a lot of sass. She is a little diva. But she's adorable <laughs> and amazing. I can imagine her being a little diva. That's so cute. But so you haven't dealt with a lot of the social stuff yet. But have you? Has anything changed in your household over the last eight and a half months? It has. You know, we actually. I, I am not going to act like I'm alone in this, but we let our guard down last summer, last fall. Things felt better. I mean, I'm in San Francisco right now, so we're fortunate because we have a very high vaccination rate here and people are very responsible. So people would actually write to me and say, hey, we were supposed to see each other this weekend, but you know what? You have a young baby and I don't feel well. And like they were doing the responsible thing. And so we felt great about it. Now during Omicron, you know, I, my guard's up because- Omicron, from what we're seeing in the hospital and some early reports, it tends to be causing more of an upper respiratory illness in kids. So in other words, it's kind of affecting those nasal passages and throats and making it making it hard for kids to, to breathe, kind of similar to what influenza, RSV, and some of those winter bugs do. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is this poses a specific risk for young babies who already have a hard time with those upper respiratory infections. So we've been very cautious um, about letting people come see her and play with her over the past you know, six weeks. No one is allowed here to even get near her if they're not vaccinated. If anyone has symptoms, also they're not coming over. You know, everyone we hang out with is either tested or when I say fully vaccinated, they've gotten a booster as well. And so we're doing what we can. And you're right. I feel I'm going to be honest. I feel very fortunate that she is young to the point where she has not missed out on anything socially or developmentally. She's not in daycare. She's not in school. She's not missing prom. And so I, I feel very fortunate about the timeline. And at the same time, I feel very sad and, and depressed. And I share the pain of a lot of others out there who have missed those activities. You know what? My daughter would kill me if she knew I was saying this, but fortunately she doesn't never listens to the show. <laughs> so I'm going to do it anyway. Typical. So she, I know. So she, um, she, the first, her first thought, cause she's a teenager. Her first thought was, oh my God, my friends are going to kill me. I just got the diagnosis. And I'm like, Maya, like, this is what's going on in the world. You're not the only one. Like she's not like she did anything. She works, she's at school. Like what is she supposed to do? And it was really interesting to me that that was her response. Like she didn't like, I can't believe I'm here <laughs> broadcasting it, but she, she didn't want me to tell anyone. She didn't want her friends to, like, she, she wanted to just isolate and not have to tell her friends. And that social element was really traumatizing for her. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because you had mentioned earlier what's something we can talk to our kids about. And I think getting rid of the stigma of people catching COVID is really important as well. And your daughter's experiencing this right now. And it's crazy because I didn't even think about this until people on Instagram started posting it. And talking about how they were ashamed to say that they were positive. And what we have to teach our kids is that the virus does not discriminate. Like it literally doesn't care what you do, what you don't do. Its job is to infect people. And you can be fully vaccinated. You can follow all the steps. And you can still go and catch the virus. And you know, the way, the analogy I make that is hopefully kind of reaching somebody out there, you know, getting, getting testing positive for SARS-CoV-2 does not mean that you are going to develop severe COVID-19. And so there shouldn't be anyone out there who is pointing a finger and saying, oh my God, what did you do if you test positive for the virus? And so what I would tell your daughter and anyone else out there, it's like if you're wearing a seatbelt and you're following all the rules on the road and somebody else comes and hits the back of your car, that's not your fault. That is nothing you did right or wrong. 
That just happened. But guess what? Because you were wearing a seatbelt, because you were following the speed limit, because you were doing everything else safe, like you're going to be fine. And so I try, I try to try to separate that out of people's minds. And so we just kind of drop the stigma of testing positive. It's just amazing that that's a thing now. It's, it's, it's so, ridiculous. Yeah, it's prevalent and everything. But it's so, I mean, you think about what teenagers from their perspective, they're very, everything is so socially dominated. Like they make all their decisions based on, you know, what their friends are going to think and, you know, social media and all that stuff. And it's, oh, I can't even imagine being, it was hard enough to be a teenager way back when, when we didn't have cell phones and social media. But now with this and this whole new level of this, I just, it's, it's really, it's, it's scary as a parent. Like I don't even know how to navigate it. What I would love your wisdom on what signs parents should look out for when it comes to the safety, security of your child's mental health. I, you know, honestly, I think the very most important thing is that parents are even considering their children's mental health. The fact that people are even talking about that is, I hate the word silver lining in a pandemic, but it is a silver lining that we've had more awareness now. And I think the most important thing is that you know your kids and if there's a deviation from your kid's routine, your kid's normal behavior, that that just perks up as not necessarily a red flag, but something to explore. So it could be something like, let's say your kid is more hyperactive or less active than usual. But think about things like if there's changes in your kid's activity level, things that they like to do, they no longer want to do that. Does your kid seem sad or withdrawn? Does your kid no longer want to hang out with his or her friends? Is there Are there changes in eating behavior? Anything like that that seems like it's, it's off the current routine, I think should spark a discussion. And parents by no means should feel ashamed in, for asking for help. Like everyone out there should be encouraged to go in and talk to a specialist, talk to a professional about what to do. And we should impart that behavior on our kids as well. Kids, young adolescents should still absolutely be motivated to go and read up on these things and, and talk about them. And whether it's a teacher, a babysitter, a school counselor, a parent, they should feel open to be like, hey, I'm feeling a bit out of it. I'm feeling down. I'm feeling depressed. And I think if we have those conversations with our kids, with the younger generation, we can smash the stigma in the face. Oh, thank you. That It's so nice to hear that. It's so refreshing and it's so hopeful because we start to feel hopeless and you get caught up in this, this vicious cycle of like, what do I do? Like this like helplessness, like never before. I feel like this is the most, you know, it's like the most helpless I've ever felt as a parent. And I mean, as a human living in this world, it's just like, there's, it's so shocking and so hard to wrap our brain around it. But besides the awareness of children's mental health, what else have you seen that maybe positive that's come out of more silver lining that's come out of this this whole ordeal. Yeah, I, I would have given you a better answer in like November <laughs> when, when I felt like we were coming out of it. And now that Omicron showed up and kind of pushed us all backwards, I feel more pessimistic. But I'm gonna still be I'm gonna still be optimistic right now. And I'm gonna say there's there's been a lot more awareness on cracks in our society. And so that itself is not a silver lining, but I'm hoping that something positive comes from that. We have identified how messed up our healthcare system is, how social determinants of health are completely changing your outlook, your, your ability to succeed in life. We have looked at issues in the labor department and education, all these things. And I'm hoping that this m motivates some change in the future. And one personal individual positive is for me is that this has forced me to take another look at my life and saying like, what am I wasting my time doing? And what doesn't actually matter if I die tomorrow? And like I'm laying there and I'm taking 30 minutes to die. This is this has gotten very morbid. I apologize. <laughs> am I going to look back on my past month and regret how I spent my time? 
or I'm actually going to be like, you know what? I lived life and I was honest and I did what I wanted to be doing. And I think that form of reflection, a lot of people have had over the past two years when, when all these sources of entertainment and distraction and things that we took for granted were taken away from us. We've been forced to reevaluate. And so I'm hoping that there's been a lot of individual growth out there. Well, that's actually beautiful. That shift in perspective, like that reminder to carpe diem a little bit too, while we're being safe and secure and talking and listening. And I love that. And that is a great segue to the last question I have for you. And that's a look with all of the extraordinary things you are doing to take care of your patients and your family and your audience. What are you doing now to choose yourself? I'm trying to not feel selfish when I choose myself. That's step one <laughs> is, you know, when, when I think about how do I choose me? How do I find me time? The first thing I had to get over was feeling bad for taking me time. And, you know, I got there by really thinking about the fact that it's important for me to detach, even if it's for 10 minutes. So I'm just going to come with it, with this answer. And instead of waxing poetic, about the importance of taking quote unquote mean time, I will just say martial arts, martial arts forms, practicing them, practicing my balance, my speed, my agility is one of the most meditative things that I do for myself. I think everyone has their own kind of individual practice, whatever it may be, whether it's reading, writing, drawing, sculpting, playing video games, it doesn't matter. For me, if I am up at 3 a.m. and I have to do a live TV segment for Good Morning America and I'm feeling a little flustered, just going in my hallway in my little apartment and walking up and down that hallway while doing lunges and practicing roundhouse kicks, crescent kicks, hook kicks, side kicks, you can, you can all Google image this, that requires an immediate amount of focus and balance or I'm going to fall. And so for me, that's a very important kind of practice that I do. And I do it all. I do it everywhere. You'll see me throwing kicks in the park sometimes or in the corner of the hospital because it just centers me and it brings me back and makes me a better version, a more balanced version of myself that I will then take in my role as a parent, partner, pediatrician, whatever comes my way. Perfect. Quite literally the message for the show. And Dr. Alok Patel, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Stay strong. Stay with this beautiful, bright light attitude that just lights up the world. I appreciate that. And when I don't have the light, guess what? I will choose myself and I'll fake it till I make it. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about silver linings. I too hope that people pay more attention to holistic immune health and what it actually means to be the best version of yourself from a nutritional standpoint. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, become a member of our Patreon page, patreon.com slash choose you now. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash choose you now to have access to exclusive bonus content. Please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.